Well, uh, before we go any further, I just want to take just a moment and for all of you who call the Creek Church home, uh, I just want you to know how much I miss you and how much I love you. And I cannot wait. I mean, I cannot wait uh, to see you on the other side of all of this. And I want you to know, and I want to remind myself that there is going to be the other side of all of this. And I cannot wait to see you. Typically, we are a church in three locations here in London, Somerset and Williamsburg. Uh, but today, and uh, for an uncertain amount of the future that is before us, we are a church in hundreds of locations, uh, not only here in our church communities of Kentucky, but for those of you today that are watching uh, literally around the world. And for all of you who may be guests of ours, uh, we are so thrilled that you have decided to spend a little time with us. What I'm praying for all of us, praying for you, praying for me, is that today we will hear what we need to hear in order to be who we need to be and do what we need to do uh, in the season that we all find ourselves in. And in addition to having all of this social distancing going on, I know that you can see me, but I can't see you. Uh, that may be fortunate for me, uh, but I can't see you. But here's what I would love to ask you to do. I would love for you to take a picture of you, your family, uh, you with friends watching today. Uh, let us know where you're watching. Tag us on one of our social media accounts. Uh, that way we can see exactly where you are and how you're enjoying the Creek Church online today. Again, uh, thanks for being with us. Uh, what I hope to talk about today and for the next three weeks is something really important. And, and we talked about it briefly uh, last weekend in our time together. And so today I wanna begin to talk to us about faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. And I think this is what the world needs right now more than anything else. If you follow social media, if you're listening to the endless news cycles, if you're just paying attention, it's pretty clear, I think. It's clear for me, it's clear for you that what the world needs right now is faith, hope, and love. And if I uh, was being as honest as I know how to be this morning, uh, that's what I need as well. I need faith, hope, and love in the middle of all of this. This is what we all need right now. Uh, this is what we all require right now as we all try to adjust to and settle into what is this brand new normal. Uh, a new normal that you didn't ask for, I didn't ask for it. Uh, <clears throat> a new normal that uh, none of us want, uh, but yet here we are, we're part of this brand new normal, this brand new reality. And unfortunately, uh, it seems as though none of us have escaped the tentacles of the consequences uh, that have come as a result of this crisis. Uh, this past week, I've talked to so many of you um, by phone or in person or by text. And uh, for so many in our church, this has been one of the toughest weeks ever. Uh, some of you are very stressed. Some of you are fearful. Some of you are frustrated and you're not even sure why you're frustrated. Uh, some of you, you're hurting. Uh, you've had to lay someone off. You've got laid off. Uh, your family is up against the wall, and so you're hurting. Uh, some of you are anxious. Uh, the uncertainty, the unknown uh, that we're all having to deal with, you, you just don't like that, and so your anxiety has surfaced. You thought you had dealt with it, uh, but yet it, it's knocked on your door in the past few days. Some of you are exhausted because you, because you can't sleep. Uh, some of you are out of patience uh, because you're having to spend a whole lot of time at 
home uh, when you feel like you're not wired to be at home. That's what's been happening at my house. Uh, Allison has had to go see patients, but I, I've spent the past few days at home with the boys. And I looked at her the other day when she came in and after we last sawed her and after she changed and showered and all that, I looked at her and I said, the boys are driving me bananas. And if they keep it up, I'm gonna make Leviticus great again. I'm gonna bring back parenting from the old covenant. It's gonna be very bad for them, but it's gonna be very satisfying for me. Uh, and I'm warning them, so I need you to help me. And maybe you feel like me, you're just, you're just out of patience. This cabin fever, you just, you just can't stand it any longer. Um, I think all of us are dealing with this situation in some shape, form, or fashion. Uh, fear, panic, anxiety, trending very high right now. Um, I don't know your individual story, but I can tell you a little bit of mine. I feel like for the past two or three weeks, uh, take all of this crisis out of it. The past two or three weeks have been some of the hardest of my ministry career. And then you throw a global pandemic in the middle of that. And I'm telling you, it's tough. It's tough for you. It's tough for me. It's tough for all of us. And, and the thing about it is we have no idea how long this thing's going to last. And, and that's what bothers us. Uh, we have no idea what things are gonna be like on the other side of all of this, and that bothers us. But one thing is really for certain, people are afraid. People are afraid for lots of different reasons. Some people are afraid of getting sick. Uh, some people are afraid of what it means to their financial future. Uh, some people are just afraid of the unknown variables that are involved in all of this. And it seems to me from my perspective, and maybe you, you agree as well, that fear uh, may be spreading and probably is most definitely spreading faster than the virus itself. And that's where we kind of left off last week. And we said this here, that times of great fear, because that's, that's where we are, times of great fear require a people of great faith. And that's what I want during this whole thing that we're all involved in, that we're all walking through together. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for our church. That's what I want for every church. I want us to be a people of great faith because in times of great fear, what is required is a people of great faith. And so that's what I want us to be. I want us to be a people of great faith. Now, when you read through the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, you find that Jesus had quite a bit to say about faith. Jesus would say things like this. Maybe you've heard of this before, that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, faith the size of a mustard seed, you can look at a mountain and say, mountain, be removed, and the mountain would be removed. That's incredible. <laughs> and we love that idea, don't we? Jesus said, as, as it relates to faith, that nothing is impossible for the one who has faith. Nothing. Nothing is impossible for one who has faith. That if you have faith and you do not doubt, you can do anything. And we read about what Jesus said about faith and we read what the New Testament says about faith and we're like, oh my goodness, that's the type of faith that I want. I want big faith. I want great faith. Uh, when you find Jesus in the Gospels, you find him celebrating big faith and you find him criticizing little faith. And, and I hope that when Jesus looks at you and when Jesus looks at me and when Jesus looks at our church right now and Jesus looks at Christians around the world right now, I hope he is celebrating because he has a people of great faith. But the question I think that we should all ask in following up from that is, what does great faith look like in the middle of a crisis? What does great faith look like in the middle of a global pandemic? What does great faith look like for you right now where you are in your current set of circumstances? What does great faith look like for me? What does great faith look like for all of us in the middle of this crisis? And that's what we're gonna talk about today. 
And, and lucky for us, the New Testament tells us quite a bit about what great faith looks like. But one specific portion of scripture gives us an essay on faith. Tells us so much about faith that we can apply to our lives right now that can help us navigate the uncertainty and the unknown, to help us navigate the crisis and to navigate how to move forward in the face of what we didn't ask for and what we do not want. And, and we find it in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, if you grew up in church, you've been around Christians very much, you've heard people talk about Hebrews chapter 11 and it's really familiar. And I think that in seasons like we're in, revisiting what is really familiar may be the most helpful to us. Because these are words that we've heard before. These are words we've heard quoted before. Songs have been written about these words. Sermons have been delivered about these words. But there's an essay right in the middle of Hebrews uh, that tells us about what great faith looks like. And that's what we're gonna look at today. You find it in Hebrews chapter 11. Hopefully you have a Bible uh, there with you or maybe you're using an online Bible today. But this is what the writer of Hebrews says about great faith. He says, now, faith is confidence. That's what faith is. Faith is not hoping so, crossing our fingers, you know, wishing so. No, faith is confidence. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And here's what the writer's saying, and this is absolutely fascinating and so insightful. Here's what he's saying, that for people of Christian faith, our truest reality isn't limited to what we can see, what we can hear, and what we can touch, and what we experience in the physical world. That's what he's saying, that Christian faith, Christian faith understands that our truest reality isn't just what we can see, touch, hear, and experience in the physical world. This world is part of our reality. We're all living in an unfortunate, unwanted, unasked for reality right now. And this world's reality is only part of our reality. We don't stick our head in the sand. We don't pretend like, you know, what's happening isn't happening. We don't, you know, it's not pie in the sky and we're not putting our heads up in the clouds and just plugging our ears and closing our eyes and hoping for the best. No, Christian faith understands that this world's reality is only part of our reality. It isn't the whole of our reality. Christian faith helps us understand that we have hope beyond what we can see. We have hope beyond what we're hearing. We have hope beyond what we can touch and what we can experience in this physical world. Our Christian faith helps you and helps me, and this is so, this is so important. It helps all of us help determine what is ultimate reality. Not partial reality, but ultimate reality for all of us. Your faith and my faith helps me to understand what is ultimately reality. Not partial reality, but ultimate reality. Reality in the midst of unprecedented times and unprecedented you know, things that we're all encountering on a day-to-day -day basis. Reality that goes beyond the latest news cycle. Reality that goes beyond viruses and economics and politics and everything that we're hearing about on a daily basis. Our faith, our Christian faith, your Christian faith, my Christian faith, it gives us eyes to see more than what our eyes can see. Our Christian faith gives us ears to hear more than what our ears can hear. Our Christian faith helps us to understand a reality that is greater than just what we see, hear, touch, and experience. And so here's a working definition of faith. I hope you write it down, uh, maybe even print it out, you know, tape it on your mirror, put it on the dining room table, carry it around in your pocket. But, but here, here's a great working definition of faith that helps us move forward in what we're gonna talk about today. Faith is believing that God is. 
You've heard us say this before. Faith is believing that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do in living my life accordingly. And the key operative word in all of this is right here, accordingly. I'm gonna build my life around this. I'm gonna organize my life around who God is and what God has promised to do. Because who God is and what God has promised to do, that is the framework that I understand what is ultimate reality. And then I begin to organize my life around that, my thought life, my emotional well-being, my morality, my behavior, my relationships. Everything in my life begins to get organized around the reality of who God is and what he has promised to do. And when I walk in faith and when I walk in the reality of who God is and what God has promised to do, it changes my perspective. It changes how I see things. It changes my attitude, how I experience things. And it changes my thinking, how I respond to things. The things that are in my life, the things that are in your life, the things that are going on all around us. That is the power of faith. That's how great faith works. It changes your perspective. It changes your attitude. It changes your thinking. It helps you have a larger framework for what is truly reality. And so here's what we're going to understand together, hopefully by the end of our time together, that faith faces reality as it is. And at the same time, trust God for who he is. We are a people who face reality. We don't hide from reality. We don't live in denial concerning what reality is, but we are a people who face the reality in front of us. We face the reality that we can see, touch, hear, and that we're all experiencing. We face it. But at the same time that we're facing reality, we also are trusting God for who he is and what he said he will do. We are responding to reality with a greater reality in mind. And this is what Hebrews chapter 11 is all about. And matter of fact, the writer goes on to say, he says this, it's this type of living of facing reality, but yet trusting God, trusting God for who he is and what he said he will do. It's facing reality, but trusting God. He said, this is what the ancients were commended for. This is why when you read the Old Testament, it's full of men and women who became heroes of faith. It's because of how they handled their individual realities. The reality of their generation, the reality of their lifetime, the reality of their circumstances. The reality that sometimes was not pleasant, the reality that sometimes was very painful and very harsh. That's why we celebrate them. That's why Hebrews 11 is there in the New Testament because as the writer looks back on heroes of faith, he says, you know what? We stand in awe of men and women who stood face to face with the reality of their day, with the reality of their generation, the reality of their circumstance. But even though they stared reality in the face, as bleak as it may have seemed to be, as dangerous as maybe what it felt like it was, yet they trusted God. They trusted God for who he is and what he promised that he would do. And so when we read about these heroes of faith, it wasn't their achievements that made them great. It was their face, it was their faith in the face of reality that made them great. They faced their individual reality with faith. They said, I'm gonna trust God despite what this reality looks like, what it sounds like, and how I am experiencing it in real time. I'm gonna trust God in spite of it. And so the writer says, this is what we celebrate them for. This is why they were committed. Then he goes on and he says, and without faith, and there's the word again, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly 
seek him. That's how faith works. We operate from a framework that says ultimate reality is defined by God's existence. And God's existence changes how I experience reality. The reality that is this physical world, the reality of what I see, touch, and hear. That God's reality changes how I experience my personal reality. And so when we're walking by faith, as we're all called to do, when we're walking by faith, we are walking in light of a greater reality. And we all believe and we understand that God's promises, they actually set the parameters for what future reality is gonna look like. That future reality is going to be determined by what God has promised you and what God has promised me. And when we believe that God's promises set the parameters for future reality, we face our present reality in a different way, in a way that someone without faith cannot face reality. And so we respond by seeking him because why wouldn't we? If God exists and we can trust him and his promises are the parameters for present and future reality, why would I not seek him? Why would I not chase him? Especially in the midst of a crisis because a crisis is a great opportunity to chase God. This crisis is a great opportunity for you and for me to pursue God like we've never pursued God, to chase God like we've never chased after God before because here's the promise of the scripture. Jeremiah 29 and 11 says, if you seek God with all of your heart, if you chase him, God said, I'm gonna let you catch me. If you chase me, I'm gonna let you catch me. And here's the wonderful thing about what the writer's saying. The object of my faith is also the reward for my faith. When I seek after the object of my faith, in the end of that pursuit, I am rewarded with the object of my faith. God himself becomes my reward. And so the writer moves on in chapter 11 and he continues this essay and he's gonna show us what faith looks like by using examples from the Old Testament. He talks about people like Abel who gave his best to God because of faith. That's what faith inspired him to do, to give his best to God. He talks about Noah, right? You've heard the story of Noah and his big boat, you know, Noah's Ark, that, that Noah ignored precedent. God says, it's gonna rain. Noah said, what's rain? You know, I want you to build a boat. What's a boat? And he ignored precedent. He ignored what he had experienced up into that moment. And because God said, okay, here's what's gonna happen. He understood that what God said was gonna happen was the truest reality. And so he organized his life around it and he built an ark to prepare for that reality. The writer talks about Abraham, how he left home, destination unknown. God promised Abraham and his wife, Sarah, says, even though you're old, you're gonna have children. Even though you're really past the years of being able to have children, you're gonna give birth to children. And they believed it. Even though reality said something else, they, they looked at what they could see here, touch and experience, and they were old and they were past the age of having children, but God said it, and that was the greater reality. That's how faith works. And the scriptures tell us that Abraham, who was as good as dead, that's how old he was. He was as good as dead, but now he has descendants as countless as the stars because he faced present reality with a greater reality in mind. In Hebrews 11, the writer talks about Isaac. Great story, don't have time to tell you. Jacob, Joseph, Moses, who refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And all of these men and all of these women, people like Sarah and Rahab, all of these men and women, they lived by faith. They walked by faith. They faced reality, but yet they trusted God 
because they believed that God was the ultimate reality for their lives. And so the writer says, with all of those men and women in mind, he says, all these people, all these people, all these men and women who were still living by faith when they died, they took their last breath. I love this. This is incredible. They took their last breath with faith. They died with faith. Their heart stopped beating with faith. Their life ended, but they still had faith. They did not receive, this is, this is interesting, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Now, this is what he's saying, and this is a big deal. God had promised Abraham that one day one of his sons would bless the entire world. But Abraham never saw that promise come to complete fruition. Abraham had a son, Isaac, but he did not see the full promise of God completed. He did not see the full promise of God fulfilled. Isaac was handed the promise of Abraham, but Isaac never saw it in his lifetime. He handed it to his son, Jacob, and he never saw it come to pass in his generation. And it was handed on to generation after generation after generation after generation. And God's people held on to the promise of God. And they died believing though they did not experience in the physical experience of their life, though they could not place their hand on it, they could not see it, they could not hear it. They died believing that ultimately reality would be defined by God keeping that promise. And so they lived by faith and they died by faith. They never saw God keep the promise in their lifetime, but they died believing that there would be a day when God would keep his promise. They faced reality, but they trusted God. And so he goes on in Hebrews 11, and, and I would encourage you, sit down, read this entire chapter because it's worth your time. And so he goes on with all of this in mind. He says, and what more shall I say? Because I can say a lot. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon. Great story found in the book of Judges who with some empty jars and lanterns basically defeated the army of the Midianites. Gideon and his 300 faithful, great story. Gideon, a great man of faith. God said, you're one man, but I'm gonna use you as one man to defeat an entire nation. He says, I can tell you about Gideon, but I don't have time. I can tell you about Barak, and you can read about him in Judges as well, and Samson found in Judges, and Japheth in Judges, and David, the only king that shows up in the story. He says, I can tell you about these great men of faith. I can tell you about Samuel and all the other prophets. I could tell you about incidents and I could tell you about moments in their life where they came face to face, eyeball to eyeball with a reality that they didn't want and they didn't ask for. But they faced that reality as painful and as difficult as what it was. They faced that reality while trusting God. They believed that ultimate reality was determined by God's existence and by his promises. He said, I can tell you about all of that. Who through faith, there's the word again, who through faith, and listen to what they did. Listen to the power of great faith. Listen to the effect and the consequence of great faith. Who conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions. That's Daniel. That's an incredible story. He got thrown in prison. The king really didn't want to do it, but he kind of got, you know, conned into making a, an edict that he couldn't go back on. And Daniel got thrown into the lion's den. But the next morning, there was Daniel. And as someone has said, he used the lions as a pillow. He faced the reality of lions, but he trusted 
God. They faced the reality of other kingdoms, but they trusted God. They quenched the fury of the flames. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Also can read about it in the book of Daniel. They faced the reality of a fiery furnace. But even in the face of that reality, they trusted God. They escaped the edge of the sword. That's reality. When the point of the sword is at your neck, that's an unfortunate undesired, unwanted reality. They faced reality, believing that God was the author of a greater reality. They faced reality, but they trusted God. The reality of their weakness got turned to strength. They became powerful in battle and they routed foreign armies. They stood toe to toe with an opposing army. That was the reality of their day, but they trusted God. And then he goes on, he says, and women received back their dead, raised alive again. That's, that's Elijah. That's 1 Kings 17, 18, and 19. And so we read this portion of Hebrews chapter 11 in this particular part of the essay, and we're like, sign me up right now. Sign me up. Give me the card, Trevor. Uh, what do I need to hit here on this live stream? You know, do I need to just sign me up for that type of faith? That's, that's the type of faith that I want. That's the type of faith that I need. And I would say, you're right. That's the type of faith that I want, that's the type of faith that I need, that's the type of faith that all of us need. And this is typically what he just got through talking about. This is the type of stuff that we think about when we think about faith. And when we ask God for faith, when we ask God to strengthen our faith, when we ask God to increase our faith, this tends to be the type of faith that we think about, isn't it? To send a foreign army to flight, to be able to stare down the edge of the sword, and to live to fight another day, to get thrown into a lion's den, but not to be consumed by the lions, to step into a fiery furnace, but come out on the other side, not even smelling like smoke. That's the type of faith that we want. And that's the type of faith that we need. And so I say along with you, sign me up. In the middle of what we're walking through, in the middle of this pandemic, in the middle of all of this talk about virus and economic uncertainty, sign me up for that. Sign me up for a type of faith that faces this reality head on, but I trust God to believe that on the other side, I'm gonna be stronger, I'm gonna be better, and I am going to live to fight another day. Hey, that's what I want for you, that's what I want for me, that's what I want for all of us, but here's the thing. That's only one side of faith. And if I only told you, and if I only reminded me about that side of faith, that's not love, and that's not compassion, and that's not telling the entire truth. Is all of that part of faith? It absolutely is part of faith. Can God send the army fleeing? Absolutely. Can God take you through a fiery furnace and bring you out the other side? Absolutely. Can God allow you to be thrown in the lion's den but you not be harmed? Absolutely, but that's only one side of faith. The rider isn't finished yet. And if we're gonna say we wanna be a people of great faith, we gotta know both sides of great faith. And that's only one side of great faith. And so the writer goes on and says, there were others. I, I don't even have names for them. I gave you Barak and Samson and Gideon and David and Samuel. I, I told you about Isaac and Jacob and Abraham and Sarah and Rahab. I told you about Moses. I told you about Abel. But let me tell you about some other people that you, you don't know their name. You, you haven't heard their stories. No one really writes about them. And let's be honest, not everybody knows about them. There were some other people that had faith as well. There were some other people who were nameless that had great faith as well. As great 
as a faith, as the heroes that we just got through talking about, he said there were others. Well, tell us about them. There were others who were tortured. <laughs> we don't like that reality. We, we don't invite that reality. That, that, that sounds painful. That sounds bad. That sounds like, mm, I, I'm not sure how that's gonna work out. Refusing to be released that they might gain an even better resurrection. He says, some of these others, they faced jeers and flogging. It's like, who wants that? Who wants to go through that? Who wants to feel that kind of pain? Who wants to be that uncomfortable? And even chains and imprisonment. He says, that was their reality. They faced reality of torture. They faced reality of jeers and flogging. They faced a reality of chains and imprisonment. He says, let me tell you about the reality. They were put to death by stoning. That was their reality. They were sawn in two. That was their reality. They were killed by the sword. Hold on. You mean that some faced down the sword, but they lived to fight another day, but some were slaughtered by the sword? That was their reality. He says, yeah, there were others. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. But yet they had great faith. And what we learn from them is as valuable as what we learn from the others. We learn that faith is in no way insulation from difficulty. Faith in no way protects you. It doesn't protect me from great pain or crisis. We already know that. Faith is no guarantee of a happy ending in this life. I wish that it was. And let me tell you what this season is doing. I didn't intend to say this, but I'm just gonna tell you. What this season is doing is exposing a very anemic definition of faith that has existed in the church for far too long. And what's floating to the surface is that one side of this great faith is not gonna cut it for everybody who's going through difficulty, pain, and crisis. To say that everybody's gonna overcome and you're gonna be thrown in and come out and go into the fire and not smell like smoke, that sounds good. And it plays well, but it's not the whole truth and nothing but the truth. That is a part of faith, but it's not the entirety of faith. These people had great difficulty. They had great pain, but yet they had great faith. They faced the reality of what they didn't want and what they didn't desire, but yet they faced reality and they trusted God. Just like the others trusted God, they trusted God in the midst of what really seems like a worse reality. They faced it in such a way. <laughs> Here's what the writer says. The world was not worthy of them. They were tortured, but they did not quit. They were made fun of, they were flogged, they were imprisoned, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were left for dead, they were poor, they were not celebrated, they were unknown, they were obscure, but they did not quit. They got thrown into the lion's den, but the lions won. They got thrown into the fiery furnace, but the fire seemed to win. They faced the sword, but the sword took their life. They faced a reality that no one wants, but yet they trusted God. They didn't quit, they didn't stop trusting, they did not stop holding to God as the author of a greater reality. And the writer's saying, that's great faith too. That's great faith as well. That's the other side of great faith. Great faith can send the army running, but great faith may also lay in the dust of an army that seems to have won the victory. They face reality, but they still trusted God. And they teach us, these others, these, these unknowns, they, they teach us some really valuable things about faith. 
They teach us that faith isn't receiving the things from God that we wanted. As much as it is learning to receive from God the things that we didn't want. For some of you, you were told once upon a time that faith is what is going to get God to give you what you want. That faith is what is gonna get God to give you what you think you need. And there may be an element of truth in there, but it's not the entire truth because faith isn't receiving just the things we wanted. As much as it is great faith is learning to receive from God the things that we didn't want. We didn't want this. Nobody wanted this. Our churches are empty. You're there, I'm here. Families are in quarantine. People have been laid off. Businesses are shutting the doors. We didn't want this. But great faith says, you know what? In the absence of me getting what I want, I'm gonna trust God to receive what I didn't want because I believe there's a greater reality. That's what we learned. We also learned this, that faith is believing God can change my circumstances. He can, he can do it. And faith is trusting God even when he doesn't. That's great faith. Can God change all of this? He could in a heartbeat. He could in a second. All he would have to do is just speak the word. I believe it. I believe many of you do as well. That's great faith. But the other side of great faith is this, that we're gonna trust him, even if he doesn't do what we want him to do when we are wanting him to do it. That's also great faith. Let me tell you something else we learned. Faith is believing that when things are bad, and even if they get worse, that either way, God is still good. That's great faith. That's the other side of great faith. That things may be bad, they may even get worse, I don't know. But either way, God is still good. God is still the author of a greater reality beyond what I can see, touch, hear, and experience. And then maybe best of all, and certainly perhaps most difficult of all, we learned that faith believes God can. Faith believes that God can, but faith knows God may not. But faith is confident that either way, I'm gonna be okay, you're gonna be okay, and we're gonna be okay. Because we trust that there is a greater reality beyond this physical world. God can, God can do whatever he wants to do. God is the God of the impossible. We're confident that even if God doesn't do what God can do, that we're gonna be okay either way. I'm not sure if I have that type of faith, but I know for sure that's the type of faith that I want. And I know for sure that's the type of faith I need. I don't know if that's the type of faith that you have today, but I'm absolutely certain that's the type of faith that you want. And I'm even more confident that's the type of faith that you need. It can be scary to pray a prayer that says, God, Heavenly Father, I know and I believe that you can. But God, I also know that you may not. But God, I just wanna go on record saying, I trust you that either way, I'm gonna be okay. That can be a little scary. That can be a little uncomfortable to even say those words out loud because we do not know what's around the corner. But to face reality, trusting God, that's great faith. He says, these were all commended for their faith. 
Yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And, and let, me just, let, me, let me say this as quick as I can. They didn't see the reward. They didn't have the emotional closure of saying, you know what, our choices, they made a difference. Our faith made a difference. They walked by faith even though it didn't seem worth it. They walked by faith even though their faith didn't seem to be working out. But the author is writing this on the other side of Jesus. The author is writing this on the other side of a cross and an empty tomb. And he says, you know what? He says, as we look back on their faith, as they face the reality of their lifetime, we understand that their faith was bigger than their lifetime, that their life was bigger than their lifetime. Their circumstances were just not about them. The realities that they faced was just not about them. There was, there was a greater reality in play. God was using their reality to help bring someone else closer to faith. He says they were part of God's story. And because they were faithful in their generation, it brought faith to a future generation. And that's you and that's me. And we all stand here today on the shoulders of great men and women who maintained faith, who faced reality, who trusted God in spite of how bad that reality was. And it's that type of faith that may not change our circumstance, but it gives us a broader perspective to understand that what we see is just not reality. What we can hear is just not the only reality. What we are experiencing right now in real time is just not the only reality. There's something more at work. They lived by faith. They trusted God and it brought future generations closer to faith. We have no idea what God's doing in all of this. I can't tell you that I know what God's up to in all of this. I don't know what God's up to in your life. I don't know what God's up to in my life. I have no idea what God's up to in our church, in our nation, in our world. I have no idea, but I know that there's more going on than what we can see. I know there's more going on than what we can hear and what we can put our hands on and what we are experiencing. I know there's more to it. There's a greater reality that's defined by the existence of God and his promises. And so the writer says, let me tell you, in response to all of that, here's what we're gonna do. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all these men and women of the past, all these great heroes of the faith, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders let us throw off all the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out before us. Whatever reality is in front of us, we're gonna face it head on and we're gonna trust God. He says, because all of heaven's watching, all of the heroes of faith, they're watching and it's like they're watching from the grandstands of heaven and they're watching you through this crisis and they're watching me through this crisis and they're watching all of us through this crisis and they're saying, you know what? Don't give up, don't give in. Even if the bottom falls out, don't give up, don't give in. Even if you feel like your back's against the wall, if life's hurting right now, if it's difficult right now, if it's not what you want and not what you asked for, don't give up, keep going. We know what it's like. We've been there. We walked through it. We faced down the sword. We got into the lion's den. We walked into the furnace and I'm telling you, don't give up. We've been where you've been. Keep running, keep trusting, keep believing. Have great faith. Great faith that can move a mountain and great faith that says even if the mountain doesn't get moved, it's okay. That's what he's saying. 
All of heaven's cheering you on. He says, so fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He says, in these days, when you're facing reality, focus on Jesus. Think about how Jesus faced the brutal reality of the cross, trusting that God was in control, trusting that God had a plan, trusting that God would accomplish good on the other side of an unwanted reality. Here's what I'm believing for you and here's what I'm believing for me, that on the other side of all of this, you're gonna be stronger, you're gonna be better, you're gonna love Jesus more on the other side of this than you did on the front side of this. Your marriage is gonna be better on the back side of this than it was on the front side of this. You're gonna have a better relationship with your kids. You're gonna be more grateful for what you have on the other side of this than what you were on the front side of this. God is doing something in you that you don't even know that God is doing inside of you. God is giving you what you lacked on the front side of this, in the middle of this, and on the back side of this, you're gonna come out strong. Your faith is gonna come out polished. You're gonna come out of the fire and you have walked through difficult days and a difficult path, but on the other side of it, you're gonna be stronger because of it. And right here in the middle of it, understand that when you focus your faith on Jesus, your faith will not fail. Your faith will not fail you. It will not fail me, it will not fail us. So the writer says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You can face the reality of this moment and in the face of that reality, trust God. And in the reality of the moment, understand that God has a greater reality in play, that his promises are the parameters for present reality and for future reality. You've got this. I've got this. We've got this. So how do you know? Because he's got you and he's got me and he's got us in the palm of his hand. You're in God's heart. He loves you. You're in God's head. You can't stop thinking about you. The psalmist said, I can't even tabulate the amount of times God must have thought about me last night while I was sleeping. And while you were trying your best to sleep, God couldn't stop thinking about you. You got this, he's got you. Faith is believing that God is who he says he is. He is good, he is present, he's in control, he's working, he's faithful, he's gracious, he's loving, he's light, he's truth, he's peace. And God's gonna do what he says he will do, not a single, promise that he has made it won't fail you it won't fail me it won't fail any of us so I'm praying for you to have great faith I'm praying for you to have great faith that whether it's one side of the coin or the other you understand what great faith looks like and sounds like in the face of reality and I'm praying it for Christians everywhere because in the times of great fear we've got to be we need to be, we have to be a people of great faith. Let me just ask you to bow your head for just a moment and close your eyes wherever you are, wherever you're watching from. And if you're with friends or family, maybe, maybe just gather together for just a moment. And let's just prepare to pray with each other and pray for each other. 
Heavenly Father, right now for our church and for all of those that are watching, God, I pray great faith. I pray that we'll understand what great faith is. I pray that we'll understand both sides of the coin as it relates to great faith. And Father, I pray that as we face the reality of this season, that we will face reality head on, trusting you, understanding that ultimate reality is defined by your existence and by your promises. So God, may great faith surface in our lives. May we be voices of great faith, examples of great faith. And maybe, Father, on the other side of this, and maybe, Father, right in the middle of all of this, will a world that's watching begin to talk once again about the church and their great faith. Look at how they trust God. Look at how they believe. Look at how they refuse to give up or give in. And this is what I pray for me and this is what I pray for us and this is what I pray for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, before you go anywhere, I just want you to know again that I love you. You're never far from my thoughts. You're never far from my prayers. And I am so thrilled that you are with us today. And though our church is not gathered right now, we're scattered. And now we're a church in hundreds of locations. We have not ceased to be the church. The church is a people, not a place. The church is a movement. It's not a meeting. The church is not locked up. The church is not shut down. And the church is not on quarantine. You are the church. I am the church. We are the church. We are the hands and the feet of the Savior that we follow. And so in these difficult days, as a church, we are doing everything we can to make the biggest difference that we can. So thank you for everything you're continuing to do, your generosity, your prayers, inviting people to join you online. Thank you for everything that you're doing because it really is making a difference. Our church, other churches, all churches, we're gonna see this moment of darkness as an opportunity for great light.